0: It's partly a matter of need, partly a matter of want, but during your lifetime, you can see your kids enjoy it. If you don't need the money and it makes you happy to watch them get it, great. The only downside is you don't want to give them too much that you run out yourself. You don't want to give them too much that you spoil and make them dependent. The other thing you got to be mindful of is once it's theirs, it's theirs to do with as they please. You give a child $100,000 and they decide to go to Atlantic City or Las Vegas, nothing you can do about it. You give it to them and they get into a car accident and plow down a bunch of people. God forbid it doesn't happen, they can get sued and lose it. There are ways to give it to them where we still maintain some control over it, or where at least it's somewhat protected from creditors or potential future X. That can be done.
1: Welcome to Financially Ever After Widowhood, the podcast where we empower women to take control of their financial future. After the loss of a spouse, I'm your host, Stacey Francis, president and CEO of Francis Financial, an award-winning and nationally recognized financial advisory firm. With the help of incredible guests, I'm ready to guide you through this challenging transition. Hails from the trenches, ensuring that the money you have goes to your loved ones. That is what we are talking all about today. And we have an expert here with Stefan Dunkelgrun, who is a Trust and Estate lawyer. He has a practice at Debidoff, Hutcher, and Citrins here in New York City. And he has unbelievable experience working with both high net worth, ultra high net worth clients, both clients that he's worked with that have done things right, clients that have come to him unfortunately have done things wrong. He talks about his tales of the trenches, of how money was left to kids, minors, maybe too young, how to protect from that, how to make sure that the money you leave your children goes to them for education, for health, for maintenance, not for a Lamborghini. And make sure you stay to the end because Stefan talks a lot about how you can make sure that you give money to your adult children so you can see them enjoy it during their life without necessarily crushing their ambition. And another piece that's really important to me, as you know, I'm a certified divorce financial analyst, and while I have an unbelievably happy marriage, I know that about half of all marriages end in divorce. So how do you divorce-proof your child's inheritance? Well, Stefan is going to tell you exactly how to do that, and how to make sure, again, that the people you love receive the assets you want to leave them. Now, so without further ado, please help me welcome our amazing, wonderful guest, Stefan Dunkelgren. Stefan, it's awesome to have you here. We have a lot that we're going to be going through. There are a lot of women who are listening, some of moderate wealth, some of more extreme well. But really what keeps them up at night, no matter what that is, is making sure that their kids have the best life possible while balancing their own financial needs and i know that you as an estate planning attorney talk to a lot of these moms so i'm excited to have you here
0: thank you this is a topic that's near and dear to my heart because my father passed away when i was little so i got to experience firsthand the benefits of having a proper setup and having my mom taken care
1: of and how old were you
0: i was eight years old when he passed away
1: oh my gosh you remember much about money during that time or was it not really something that was really even on your radar
0: i was eight years old it was not on my radar fortunately my father had taken care of things properly so we didn't need to worry about money financially i didn't notice the impact at all we could continue living in the house where i grew up we had a good life and when i went to college it was a stipend for me so i could pay tuition
1: that's amazing and i think it really goes to show what good planning can really do. And Stefan, has that in any way impacted how you've gone into the trust and estate field after living through seeing things done right?
0: That's actually why I do what I do. On top of my own personal family experience, a few years before that, my aunt had been killed by a drunk driver. And after that, my grandfather had fallen apart. So he did no planning whatsoever. When he passed away, my father and Uncle inherited a shell of a company and a hefty tax bill. So it took them years to fix the mess. But when my father got sick, the first thing he did was make sure that he did get everything out of his affairs taken care of. So having benefit from proper planning, as well as knowing what happens if you don't plan properly, yeah, make in life to help others.
1: I have seen a lot of planning gone wrong, where money is potentially left to the kids, but The kids are under 18, it creates issues, just so many things. But let's start with that one. If you have children under 18 or even above 18, what's the best way to leave them money?
0: What I've done for my own children is if something were to happen to my wife and I, the money would be put in trust for them, but they don't get access for a while. So there'll be an independent trustee who would manage the money until they're old enough. You know, it'll pay for their needs, not wants pay for their health care. It'll pay for their everyday expenses if necessary. It'll pay for them to go to college. It's not going to pay for a trip around the world for <laughs> a year of backpacking.
1: Yep, yeah, or a Lamborghini. Yes,
0: exactly. Once they turn 25, we've got to get a portion of it going to be turned over to them, but not all of it because even at 25, I don't want them to receive a large sum, but enough to be comfortable maybe buy a place to live, and then the rest will come when they turn 30.
1: Can you, as the parent, pick those ages?
0: Absolutely. That's usually a discussion I have with people. What are they comfortable with? Yeah. Part of it depends also, let's be honest, on the amounts being left. The mm-hmm. Very creative. We can stagger the amounts. I did once have some clients who were arguing over whether kids should get the money at 50 or at 60. Oh, which, bless. <laughs> rather than have to try and talk them out of doing that, unless there's a good reason for it, that's just not right. Yeah. Now, look, Every parent knows their kids better than I ever will, so you're tailored to their needs. Some are much more responsible than others. Some people have issues that need to be taken care of. Yep. And a well-drafted estate plan is tailored to the particular family to both the needs of the family and the desires of the parents.
1: And I think what's really important is what's right for your family. Like 60, waiting till they're 60, not so much. 15, not so much either. But finding that right number for each child. Who do you choose as the trustee? And this is the person, again, who's overseeing the trust, answering, can you take it out for this expense or that expense?
0: That's a very important question, and there is no easy answer. The quick answer is someone you know and trust Mm -hmm. who's going to manage it well. Not everyone has someone that fits that category, so then you can always use a trust company. But ideally, it's a close friend or family member, who you know is not gonna run rampant with it. I also strongly recommend having someone who is not gonna be the guardian of the children.
1: Interesting, so having the guardian of the children who is gonna be raising your children, having the trustee be someone independent. And I can see how having the guardian and the trustee be the same person could have some conflicts.
0: Right. as an easy example, the kids have done very well this year. They got good grades in school. They were never in trouble. Let's take them on a trip to Disneyland or to Paris. And of course, I have to go with them because I'm the guardian. Got it. The largest time the plan was if anything happened to my wife and I, my brother would get custody of my children. He would need a bigger house. Exactly how much bigger is justified to come out of my money and how much is it just his wishful
1: thinking? Got it. So essentially what you're doing is you're creating some more checks and balances. Yes.
0: I trust my brother completely. That doesn't mean that you can't subconsciously be making less than ideal decisions.
1: Yeah. So on the trustee that you're choosing, something that you said that I wanted to just, again, highlight, someone that will manage the money well. And when I hear that, I think of two things. I think of the manage the money well, not go through it, make prudent decisions for distributions, that's one. But then the other part of manage the money well, I put on my investment management hat and I think of, okay, so this person needs to be a very good stock picker and bond picker in creating that ideal portfolio. So tell me about the difference. And if you do need both.
0: The trustee needs to be willing to work with a good financial professional.
1: They need a financial
0: professional, but they got to engage with them. the most important thing for the trustee in managing the money is picking the right financial advisor listening to them budgeting properly based on the conversation they're having with the financial advisor so that the money will last so it will grow but most importantly saying yes or no when the kid has a request
1: yep got it we've just talked about trusts again this is a trust that's set up if god forbid you as mom single mom passes away money goes to the trust and it can be managed by outside financial advisor investment manager but you have a trustee who then helps make good decisions for the kids of how and when they use that money. So we've got that, but there are some other vehicles known as a UTMA, a UGMA. What are those accounts and how are they different than, let's say, setting up a trust with a
0: trustee? So UTMA stands for Uniform Transfer to Minors Account. UGMA is Uniform Gift to Minors Account. It is a special type of bank account for children who are going to inherit or receive a lump sum of money before they turn 18. It's gotta be managed conservatively, but it doesn't have a trustee managing it. If the money's gone through probates, then the court's gonna be supervising, which has its own advantages and disadvantages. The court's gonna be much more critical about what's happening. But that money gets turned over when they turn 18.
1: So I think that that's always kind of a surprise, at least for our clients who up, usually it's a UTMA, and they're putting in the gift exemption each year into it, which this year, 2023, for everyone listening, is 17000 So each parent can put $17,000 in a year. It could be a pretty tidy sum by the time the child is 18, and now that money, while well, it was a custodial account, so it was in the parent's name, essentially custody for the child once they hit that age of majority, that money is 100% to the kid. And if it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's a huge number. So leaving money to your kid that way, definitely some implications.
0: I don't know what you were like at 18, but I know that if I received such a large sum of money at 18, I wouldn't have had it by 19.
1: Yeah. I think that that's really important of understanding that typically these are not really estate planning vehicles. And If you are putting money in them, it's really important to really think about it. And the other piece I've had happen, Stefan, where a client, their child reaches the age of majority and they'll say, "Okay, so just don't tell my child that they have this account. But there's actually a problem with that because the custodian that's holding that account, say it's Charles Schwab, it's Vanguard, it's Fidelity, whoever it is, they have a legal duty to contact your child to tell them that this is their money. So maybe you get the mail before your child sees it, but it's not ideal.
0: It's also not the right thing to do. You're concealing money that's rightfully theirs. You're hiding money that's rightfully theirs. It's somewhat akin to stealing. You're depriving them of something that's theirs. There's a lot of advice that people give from time to time that's really not good advice. It sounds nice when someone gives a quick answer, like, just don't show them the money.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly.
0: And you can get in trouble for it. Very similar to people saying, well... I'll just give my username and password to my financial accounts so that you can access it that way. Or a lot of people do this. Technically, that's computer fraud. Yep. Do you really want to be putting your loved ones or your friends in a situation where you're making them commit a crime because that happens to be more convenient?
1: Important. Everybody listening here, if you are putting money into an UTMA or UTMA, knowing that your child is going to get it outright at the age of majority and feeling comfortable that the amount of money that they can handle, and ideally educating your child about the importance of investing, importance of savings, and all those things. Back to making sure that your child is going to be okay if, God forbid, something happens to you. I'd love to just talk about, like, life insurance. There's formulas that you can use for how much life insurance you need. One of the rules of thumb is if you essentially 10 times your salary. If you make $50,000, then you should be having at least 500000 of life insurance. What we actually look at is we look at needs. We look at if, God forbid, your salary were to stop today, what dollar amount would be needed based on all those expenses for the kids, education, maintenance, everything until they're independent? And what's that number if we were to find that out today? So when you have a conversation with parents about life insurance, what are some of the biggest challenges they have? Is it what amount to get? What are those issues you see?
0: First issue I always see is there's not very much.
1: Right? And what's crazy is that it's not expensive if a term policy, maybe it's a 20-year term, which that's what I have. So I got a policy that essentially it lasts for 20 years. I have to pay the premium 20 years. But if I die any time between the day I buy it and that 20th year, that dollar amount actually pays out. I had timed it to expect of like, okay, by then my kids are going to be in a pretty decent position where after 20 years I feel okay. Some parents might even go to 30. But yes, you see particularly that there's typically not enough, right?
0: Right. I've seen someone with a half a million dollar a year income who got a million dollar policy. You've got two years covered. Yeah, that's not enough. And a lot of people rely on the life insurance they got at work, which will give you typically three years of your income. Great, but that's not enough. On top of that, it's not just your incomes. What other expenses do you have? What expenses are going to have to be added in because you're no longer here? On top of that, what you do with the life insurance also matters. Yeah, And then the size of the policy you may want to await state tax issues that might be triggered with it. You also don't want the insurance policy going into your state and having to go through probate, which adds time and cost to when your children can finally have access to it.
1: So let's talk about that. We've talked about money being left to the children in a trust that, has a trustee, we feel good about that because we've picked the trustee. They're going to be responsible. We have payout years when, let's say, 25, 35, blah, blah, blah. How do you leave life insurance, number one, to make sure that it goes to the kids and it goes to the kids as efficiently and in the most lowest cost way?
0: I strongly recommend having the trust be the beneficiary of the policy. In an ideal world, you create a trust while you're still alive that would be the owner of the policy. That way, it's smooth, it's easy. I'm not going to say it's overnight, but typically you provide a couple of pieces of paper to the insurance company within a month or two, the money's there for them.
1: Yeah. For my husband and I, what we have done, we've probably do more planning. I'm sure Stefan, and I love these podcasts because I've learned so much about what we're doing right, which is great pat myself on the back, but other things like, gosh, we should be doing that. But we have had, what's called an islet irrevocable life insurance trust by the life insurance what that means is, number one, it's in the trust. It'll go straight to the kids, but it's also out of our estate. So if God forbid, we don't have the problem, stuff in today, but if we had a taxable estate, let's say we had $30 million, this life insurance wouldn't go on top of the $30 million to $40 million and then have to pay 55% to Uncle Sam with taxes. Thinking about that is really important, too, because there are some people that have a lot of life insurance on them. In fact, my son came in. I don't know where this came from. You know what it was? I did the New York City triathlon on Sunday. And he he's like, Mom, this is before I did it. He's like, how much life insurance do you have? Because we weren't sure if I was going to have to swim in the Hudson. They ended up canceling the swim because there was so much debris from it. We just had a real recent rainstorm, for those of you that may have seen in New York. We had a, actually a hundred year rainstorm that we just don't get rain like that typically. So he wanted to know what my life insurance was because he knew I was going to have to do a swim in the hut then. I told him, and his first question, it was was $10 He's like, how do you have so much insurance? And why do you have so much insurance? And yes, it's a big number. But like, I think about number one, for the kids, my husband would have to hire a housekeeper, because I do a lot of that. They would need a lot of help. Also, there are additional things of just expenses, like, college and even more things too. So while when I say kind of embarrassed, like I have $10 million of life insurance on me, I feel like I'd rather have more and maybe have too much than less.
0: Absolutely. But myself also, it's more than enough. If my kids ask, that's also the answer I give them.
1: It's more than enough. (laughs) Yeah. I did tell Sebastian, I was like, just so you know, if they find out that you've killed me, there's no payout. I made it clear to him That you're not collecting if you kill me. So needless to say.
0: My daughter jokes about pushing me down the stairs from time to time.
1: (laughs) Exactly. Well, I'd love to talk about your adult children. And I know it's a little bit of a morbid question, but is it better to give money to your kids when you're dead or when you're alive? And this question comes up when, let's say she's 60, we run her plan, she's financially secure, even at age 95, there are significant assets that are going to be left over. Does it make sense to start a gifting plan of maybe $17,000 or whatever the gift exemption is on an annual basis, or is it better just to leave things when you pass away?
0: We have no right answer here. It's partly a matter of need, partly a matter of want, but during your lifetime, you can see your kids enjoy it. If you don't need the money and it makes you happy to watch them get it, great. The only downside is you don't want to give them too much that you run out yourself. You don't want to give them too much that you spoil yep. and make them dependent. The other thing you got to be mindful of is once it's theirs, it's theirs to do with as they please. You give a child $100,000 and they decide to go to Atlantic City or Las Vegas, nothing you can do about it. You give it to them and they get into a car accident and plow down a bunch of people. God forbid it doesn't happen. Then can get sued and lose it. There are ways to give it to them where we still maintain some control over it or where at least it's somewhat protected from creditors or potential future acts, that can be done. So if you do want to get it, that's a personal decision. There's no wrong answer here. Then at least you can be smart about how you give it to them.
1: And my understanding too is that you can pay for things directly like medical expenses, schooling, education to help whether it's for your child or maybe even your grandchild if you're paying directly to the institution, it's not part of that 17,000 annual gift exemption. So we've talked a little bit about giving gifts during the lifetime and helping your children or maybe even your grandchildren. Something I just wanted to bring up that I don't know if you've heard of, but I think they're really phenomenal is they're called Dynasty 529 plans. They're 529 plans, which is our educational savings accounts typically can be used for qualified college expenses, vocational. Even in some states, they allow paying K through 12th grade for that. But what we're seeing from grandparents who really want to give big or parents who want to give big, they're putting money in the 529 plan on an annual basis, even when their child is done with college. Essentially, they're setting up these 529 plans that become generation producing educational savings accounts. Because what's unique about these 529 plans is that even if you don't have a child who is going to college and your child is 35 or 45, you can continue to put that annual exemption, which again this year, as I mentioned, is 17000 You can continue to do that and not necessarily have to take money out. So it's something that I'll be honest, Stefan is kind of on my bucket list. Like we got to get through college and pay for college for my kids first. But my hope is that once we've done that and we, again, look at our finances, see that we're on track for retirement, see that the kids are doing really well with their own flying the nest and being independent in the world, I would love to take one of their 529 plans, continue every single year to put in that max contribution so that then they can have it potentially for their children, and their children can potentially have it for then their children. It's something that's kind of new as far as people talking about and doing, but I realize that there's some things outside of just the even the normal putting it in a UTMA or putting it in a trust or giving a $17,000 gift outright to people. Anything else that you've seen clients do that's kind of different or unique to be able to transfer assets to their kids or their grandkids?
0: If there's enough money, I'm always a big fan of intergenerational planning. There's things that you can set up for your children, but also your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. In New York, there is a limit, but there are ways to get around those anyway. If I had all the money in the world, I don't want my children and grandchildren to be dependent on that, but I would set up to pay for any kind of education for any descendant forever. Likewise. If you're at that level where you have an estate tax concern, there are ways to mitigate your own estate tax, but also avoid your children getting hit with the estate tax. Just like you have a dynasty 529 plan, you can also create dynasty trusts that go on for generations.
1: And how wealthy do you have to be to do that? Because like when you say that, I'm thinking of, what does that show from Texas? It was actually called dynasty, wasn't it? Yeah. Right? I'm thinking of the wealth that it has to be of like, on dynasty in the family. I'm forgetting the name of the family, but do people do that that are not ultra, ultra, ultra high net worth? So it all comes
0: down to what you believe is high net worth and what the family needs are. It doesn't really make sense when you only have a few hundred thousand dollars, but once you have 10 or 20 million, depending on the lifestyle everyone has, maybe it starts making sense.
1: Got it. And so you could actually set up a dynasty trust where it can go to pay for education or for, other important health and things like that. Can you also set it up that every year, instead of principal being paid out, only a certain amount of interest so that whoever is that generation is getting maybe 5% of the principal every year? What are the options for that type of a trust?
0: The options are essentially limitless. If you can think of it, you can probably do it. Interesting. It's advisable, but it can be done. The other thing is if you have enough money to, to make sense, you can also create what I refer to as a family bank. Rather than give money to your children or grandchildren, lend money to the, with a forgivable loan so they can start a business. Give them the guidance to help build it up. They don't need it, they don't use it, and they save it for the next generation. If they're successful, they pay the loan back, so it continues for the next generation.
1: These are really creative things. My head is kind of swirling with really interesting ideas. That's why you need a really good state planning attorney so talking about things going wrong i have single moms where son is getting married they're not so sure about the future daughter-in-law vice versa daughter getting married to her son-in-law not so excited and she talks to us of how can i give money to make sure it goes to my kid and how can i divorce proof it
0: so the magic answer there is a trust now, a trust can do a lot of different things. There's no single, oh, this is a trust. It's really, what do we want to do? More common things that I've done for clients is instead of leaving money to your children, leave it to them in a trust so that it's technically never theirs. So if they get into a bad marriage, the future ex has no claims to your money. Your child can get to it as and when they need it. You can create a trust where your child's their own trustee so that they have almost full management powers. They can get to it almost whenever they want. But if someone tries to take it away from them, it's not theirs. It's your money held in trust for that. So their future ex has no claim. And the trust can do things like if there's enough money the trust to buy an apartment or own food into living, it's not theirs. It's not marital property. They can't lose it.
1: And so the house could be actually owned by the trust and it's not marital property for purposes of I don't want to get into the law piece, but it makes it a lot harder to make that case that there needs to be equitable distribution in a divorce, and that half of that house is going to the unwanted, soon-to-be ex-spouse.
0: Yeah. I occasionally consult with some of the divorce attorneys when there's a trust involved as to whether or not the money in the trust could be accessed, and usually the answer is no. Usually if money is left to someone in trust, if you have the magic words, mm-hmm. then nobody can get to it. And that way you keep it within the family.
1: So. The next question, and this one, I know your answer is going to be like, don't ever do this. Or maybe you surprise me. But like I have seen TV shows. There was a TV show where a gentleman was going to receive X number of million dollars from his, I think, grandfather or something. But what had to happen is he had to get married before a certain period of time. All right. So, again, leaving your money to your child some people will try to control their child's behavior from the grave what have you seen and number two is that a good thing
0: there's a limit to what you can and can't do you can't mandate that someone gets married or gets divorced the court says that's it
1: okay so that was just hollywood but it was a good movie i have to say
0: (laughs) one of my favorite movies like movie called brewster of millions they made it twice the second time was with richard Pryor. Where he was told to learn the value of money. He gets a small inheritance, small, big, 30 million. And if he spends everything within a month, he gets 300 million.
1: Okay. And what lesson are we trying to teach them? <laughs> <I'm laughs>
0: sick of having to spend money. Okay. All right. That's just an entertaining movie. But what I have seen yeah. is something I very affectionately call the Beach Bun Trust. You don't get money unless you work and have a job. Interesting. Great job. You can stagger it the way you want. You could say for every dollar you were, we're going to give you another dollar or every dollar you were to get $10, or you could say you only get money if you work full-time. I've also structured things where we said, honestly, a drug addict or an alcoholic, you need to be in counseling. You need to have drug tests on a regular basis and pass them. Otherwise, you're going to get cut off. So we do want to work to try and minimize the damage that certain vices have. You can be creative. Generally speaking, you can control a little bit, but don't control too much. One thing to try and mitigate the damage of vices, it's another to try and control someone's lives beyond the grave.
1: Yep. You bring something up of trying to do something that is helpful to someone versus trying to, like you said, control them. And the reason why I bring this up too is that I didn't really grow up with wealth. I grew up very differently. I grew up in Michigan and... We had an acre garden that we grew 20 different crops on it, had to pick them all. We had three horses. We were baling hay. We were chopping our wood because we heated our house mostly with wood. I look back, we worked really hard. Like, we worked really hard. And my kids, I don't want to say they're not hard workers, but they live in New York City. They go to private school. They have opportunities that I never, ever had. And we worked so hard To try to teach them about money, the value of money, helping them manage their own finances, them having to pay for things for themselves. But I'll tell you, Stefan, like my biggest concern, and I think a lot of parents that have worked their brains out and accumulated some money of like, how do I make sure that my kid is appreciative of that and is a productive member of society. like They don't have to go and make millions. That's not what they need to do, but just like they need to be good people and give to society and work hard. I know for me, that's kind of like the background of this whole podcast too, of teaching good habits, but then also leaving money to them in a way that isn't going to anyway way diminish their drive.
0: And that's why I'm a big fan of not giving too much too soon. But honestly, far too many people that could give them too much money at a young age even at an older age, they're not going to do anything. Yeah. The conversation I always have with clients right from the start is how they up what your net worth is, figure out and add insurance to it and figure out if you were to pass away today, how much money would your children get if they get everything? And how do you think they'll react if they receive that much? And it doesn't yeah. add much, but if you think I've got a few million dollars, I own a place in Manhattan, I've got some life insurance and some retirement accounts, not unusual to do the math and say your child's going to receive two, three, $4 million the day they turn 18. Do you think they can handle it?
1: Yeah, that's scary. These are all such important questions. Again, why it's so important to do the planning. And I think what's really crazy is the number of people who haven't done the planning. I get it. Like no one wants to talk about death, but especially if you're a single mom. So important.
0: And the thing to remember is you're not doing this for yourself. Part of the reason people don't deal with estate planning is you don't do it for yourself. Yeah. You're not creating a fantastic plan so that you're going to benefit from it. You're creating it for your children, for your grandchildren. So I understand it's not an immediate port. Plus, especially younger people, we think we're going to live forever. I like to say we because I'd like to think I'm younger than I am. But most people don't really think about this until it's much too late put something in place. The other thing I want to point out is you want to update it from time to time, or at least look at it from time to time. The plan you create when your children are barely out of diapers might not be the right plan once they're in their 20s and you've seen how they develop. One client, about his, when I talked about his children, his 16-year-old ran three businesses and was worthier than he was. Wonderful. But that's very different than what I recommend for a three-year-old where we say at 18, don't let them inherit yet because you don't want to ruin their lives. That 16-year-old girl was more than capable of receiving everything in a lump sum. The same time, sometimes by the time they turn 18, 20, you can see that things aren't gonna, the way you'd hoped. Maybe there's special needs and we need to address that. Maybe there's some devices we need to take care of or some other disability or handicap. So the plan you create when they're little, usually it's more, here's where we plan for the best, hope for the worst. Once you see how they grow up, how they're maturing into adults, you might wanna be a lot more specific. I also recommend to people, Every couple of years, take your plan out of the drawer, dust it off, take a look if the name still makes sense. That person that you thought would be the trustee when you were 25 and your child was still in diapers, 10 years later, you might not still be friends with
1: them. Yeah, things change, right? And
0: you don't necessarily need to update your documents every time. We should at least double check to make sure that it makes sense.
1: Yep. Stefan, I cannot thank you enough. Time has flown by. I know our listeners want to know, how to get a hold of you. What's the best way?
0: Best way to reach me is either by phone, 646-428-3112, or you can email me at swd at SWD is Stefan W. Dunkelgrun. It doesn't actually mean anything though I needed three letters here.
1: No problem. And for everyone listening, Stefan will put in our show notes, not only your phone number, but also your email, your website, so that it's super easy for everybody to visit you and reach out, ask questions, because I think that you definitely brought up a lot of great things that have some wheels turning in many of our listeners' brains.
0: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me here.
1: Thank you. Fantastic to talk with Stefan about a topic that is so dear to all of our hearts as moms, wanting to make sure that our kids have the most amazing life. And I know you are probably like me of wanting to make sure that I take care of my kids, but I don't in any way crush their ambition or their want to succeed and be successful member of society. I feel like we really talked a lot about that. And for many of our clients, they want to know how much can they give their children and finding that balance between saving for themselves, saving for their children, gifting to their children. If you have those questions, please reach out to me at Francis Financial. My favorite thing to do is to talk to people like you, helping you navigate these issues, helping you with maybe insights that would be helpful. And of course, we are here to work with you if you're looking for an ongoing wealth manager who really understands the value of planning, understand what it's like to be a single mom and a widow. We are here for you and wanting to help you. Reach out to us at Stacy at FrancisFinancial.com. You can also visit our website at www.FrancisFinancial.com. Thank you for joining us and we'll see you soon in two short weeks. Thank you for tuning in to Financially Ever After Widowhood. If there's a question you'd love for us to answer on the podcast, we can do that for you. All you have to do is give us a call and the number is 347-682-5580. Let me say that again, 347-682-5580. Whether you're working with an advisor or you're maybe doing it on your own, we invite you to reach out to us at www.francisfinancial.com or you can email me at Stacey, Stacy, S-T-A-C-Y, Our hope is to be a resource for you to help you also find a great financial advisor, whether that be with our firm or one of our trusted colleagues. Please be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to the podcast and join us next time on Financially Ever After Widowhood.